morning. Welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. To get us started, I want to start by listing a few words here for you to think about. Rules, expectations, conformity, pressure, judgment. As I listed off those words, I wonder if uncomfortable feelings, sad memories, or hard conversations came to your mind. I think most of us listening now know the feeling of being judged according to someone's or some group's rules and expectations and then pressured to conform. Maybe you felt that with your classmates. Do you feel pressured to conform to certain expectations about the way you should dress, the music you should listen to, the language you should use? Perhaps this is something you feel at work. Do you feel judged about your morals, your standards, or your beliefs? This could be something you feel with your club, your friend group, or even your family. The feelings of people setting unreasonable expectations or unhelpful rules and then being judged so harshly when you fail to conform. Whoever you are, in whatever context you are, know that you're not alone. To give some practical examples and ones I think we need to talk about today given our world, Christians throughout history have gone through this devastating cycle of expectation, judgment, and pressure. In the 17th century, the year 1662, every single Christian minister in the country of England was expected to conform their beliefs and practices with the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. For our Baptist forebears like Benjamin Keach and John Bunyan, this cycle of expectation, judgment, and pressure resulted in their abuse and imprisonment when they failed to conform. In the 16th century, the great reformer Martin Luther faced a similar reality. When he dared to speak out against the unreasonable rules of the Roman Catholic Church and sought to follow what the Bible said, he was pressured by councils, judged by popes, and ultimately persecuted by the state. I could list many more examples. Examples of Christians seeking to do what is right, to follow God's word and wisdom, and being confronted and judged by the world for their simple faith and faithful living. While we might not have kings and popes after us, we might have the popular kids when we refuse to go to that party. We might have our family when we insist on going to that Bible study. We might have that employer when we question the latest sensitivity training. And we might have those uber Christian friends when we ignore that prophecy from their favorite preacher. Facing the world's judgment and pressure to conform is not a new situation for Christians. It's not something we should be surprised to face. Scripture warns us that this exact thing is coming. But thankfully, with that said, this is an experience scripture prepares us for. Continuing in our series in Colossians, we're now turning to Colossians 2, 16 to 23. We're turning to the passage where the Apostle Paul gives the Colossian Christians instructions, encouragements, and reminders concerning their freedom in Christ, their liberty from the judgment of this world, their hope when standing in the face of burdensome pressures, unprofitable rules, and good-for-nothing expectations. 
as our faith faces judgment in this world, our belief in the Bible is questioned as our aim to walk simply and humbly with our God is mocked or shamed. This is the passage we need to hear. This is the teaching we need to embrace. This is the truth in which we must find hope and courage. Follow with me now as I read Colossians 2, 16 to 23. That's Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The first encouraging instruction we need to hear and embrace from Paul is, don't be judged by anything that doesn't honor Jesus. Don't be judged by anything that doesn't honor Jesus. I want you to notice the way our passage begins. It begins with a simple statement. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. If you've been a Christian for a while, especially if you've been attending Grace for many years, I want to exposit this opening line by using a line you're familiar with. I want to ask a question. Our passage today begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, we must ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you. And we might be wondering how and why we do that. But our therefore gives us this answer. Think back to the truths from the first half of this chapter. Think back to everything Paul teaches about our salvation in Christ. Look at Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15. We can stand firm in the face of judgment because in Christ we are alive and forgiven. The judgment of people cannot shake, undo, diminish the identity we have in Jesus. We can stand firm in the face of judgment because Jesus is victorious. No unbiblical rules or unreasonable expectations can reverse or improve upon the victory Jesus won for us. We can stand firm in the face of judgment because Jesus is the perfect Savior and unconquered Lord. So, when people come to judge you, when they put pressure on your identity, when they seek to diminish the hope you have in salvation, remember, that's an assault upon Christ's work, lordship, and honor as much as it is an attack upon you. When people try to diminish your salvation or belittle your faith, stand 
firm. Don't let them pass judgment on you. Your identity and hope are fixed in who Jesus is and what he has done. They can't change that. But they sure will try. And they will use all sorts of methods to try. One of the world's favorite ways to try and judge and pressure Christians is by weaponizing morality and religion against us. Look back at our passage, the second half of verse 16. People were trying to pass judgment on Christians and faith in Jesus by holding to expectations and rules relating to food and drink and Jewish holy days. Essentially, people were twisting and abusing the good Old Testament to try and diminish the salvation that those early Christians had in Jesus Christ. They might have said things like, hey, faith in Jesus was a great start, but to be truly holy, you should be really keeping kosher diet, or you should really be celebrating the old covenant feasts. The tricky thing was that people judged them, put pressure on them, held them to unhelpful rules, but they dressed them up in their unbiblical expectations with biblical and religious language. If someone is trying to bind you to Old Testament law, rare, but it certainly happens, don't let them pass judgment on you. What I want you to recognize here is the principle underneath our example. In the Colossians day, the Old Testament law was the religious language being used and abused to cast judgment on Christians. What is that for us today? Before we get there, let me tell you about the religious and moral language Martin Luther had to face. As Martin Luther was challenging the Roman Catholic Church's unbiblical dogmas and anti-Christian rules and expectations, many people sought to undermine him through the language of pride and humility. As he challenged the teaching of indulgences, the belief that if people paid money to the church that they could get out of purgatory, that they could get dead family members into heaven, as Luther challenged this horrendous doctrine of the Roman church, he would be faced with the question constantly, are you alone wise? Are you alone wise? His opponents tried to undermine his confidence in Christ's perfect victory and salvation by suggesting that Martin Luther was being proud when he challenged unbiblical church traditions according to the word of God. But what about us today? Maybe you've come across someone using the good biblical statement that God is love to try and judge and pressure you when it comes to holding to a biblical sexual ethic. Maybe someone tried to use the language of judge not lest ye be judged to ironically judge you when it comes to your convictions concerning life and abortion. An ironic turn of events, the world will use religious and moral language to try and undermine our religion and morality. And that could be hard to stand firm against. They'll do their best to make their rules and judgments against our faith in God, the Bible, and the gospel sound like they're the ones actually on the side of God, the Bible, and the gospel. How do we stand firm against that? First thing to note, rest assured God is against anyone who abuses his word and twists his people. We're told in Galatians that people who do that are accursed. So when facing their judgment, I'm going to introduce an important theme here. Rest in God's judgment. One day these wrongs will be righted. 
God's judgment is the one that matters and the one that has eternal ramifications. So rest in that. But the second thing here is, and the point I think we really need to take to heart now is to remember, you, we Christians, are free because Jesus alone defines our faith and practice. The reason why the Colossians could stand firm against people trying to get them under the Old Testament law again is because they had the assurance that the Old Testament law was fulfilled in Jesus. All those Old Testament laws had the purpose of anticipating and pointing to Jesus. And Jesus came. The substance of their religion belonged to Jesus. It made no sense to go back to religious practices that were only practiced to help people wait and get ready for Jesus. By doing those things again, they would be saying that either Jesus really didn't come or that he really didn't change anything. The substance of our religion belongs to Jesus. That means anything religious we do must be rooted in Jesus, respond to what Jesus has done, and give honor to Jesus for who he is. Our religion must be entirely Jesus-centered, and that's freeing. When people come with rules to make us work for our salvation, or expectations that put us against the Bible, we can safely ignore those. We can stand firm against those, because the substance of our religion belongs to Jesus. We are freed from any rule that doesn't fully recognize that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. We are freed from any expectation that doesn't match up with, with, with what Jesus has said or done. So, stand firm. Don't be judged by anything that doesn't honor Jesus. Whether that's pressure to keep the Old Testament law, to embrace radical gender theories, or as simple as to dress a certain way or eat certain things to improve your standing. The substance of our religion belongs to Jesus. You are freed from any pressure that doesn't honor him. Now let's turn to our second encouragement from Paul. Don't be judged by anything that doesn't come from Jesus. While we might easily expect the world to come and judge us as Christians, especially on those hot-button social and political issues, something our passage makes clear is that judgment and pressure-facing Christians can come from Christians, or at least people who identify as Christians. Look at verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. The image Paul is giving here is one of the uber-religious person, the super-Christian, coming to judge, belittle, diminish, to disqualify you based on their super-Christianity. Been around the church for a while, especially in more charismatic circles, and you've probably come across someone come up to you and say that they have a word from the Lord for you, or perhaps that God has laid something on their heart to tell you or challenge you with. Sometimes these are innocent uh, as little encouragements to stay strong or to pray together. But sometimes these prophetic words people apparently get can be quite radical and judgmental. I've heard people talking to one of these so-called prophets and being told they had to quit their job because it wasn't in God's will for them. 
or that they maybe had to marry this person because so-and-so had a dream that God would make them their wife. Uber-religious people can sometimes be the worst offenders when it comes to this cycle of rules, expectations, judgment, and pressure. And what are we supposed to do when they're saying this judgment for us came from God himself in a vision or dream? What if they're telling us that unless I take on this new discipline or embrace this spiritual practice or trust in their vision, I am not walking in God's will? That's a bold claim and that can create some serious pressure. What do we do against that? Well, Paul tells us, first things first, look at our passage again. These so-called prophets or super Christians are often people who are puffed up without reason by their sensuous minds. The reality is, look at verse 19, these people come in the name of Jesus, but they themselves aren't even connected to them. They're not using the uh, language of our passage, holding fast to the head. So, how do we recognize the difference between some good advice offered for mature Christians from the nonsense of the uber-religious wannabe prophet? Sometimes they can be so confident, eloquent, and respected, it can be hard to tell the difference. Thankfully, Paul and the other apostles made it clear. Test everything and hold fast to what is good. Another way of saying that, evaluate every belief against the word of God. If someone is giving you religious advice or Christian mentorship, if it's good and genuine, they should be able to support it based on scripture. But test them on that. As Christians, it's not rude. It's biblical. That's apostolic. When the apostles came teaching the gospel itself to the Bereans, they weren't blindly received. This group of Jews were praised as noble for examining the scriptures to see if the apostles were speaking truthfully. If the Bereans were lauded for testing the apostles' preaching of the gospel itself against the Bible, how much more should we be encouraged to test any religious advice we get from Christians? One conclusion is that you get a clearer understanding of the biblical wisdom and the truthfulness of your pastor, your mentor, or your friend. Their trustworthiness and biblical faithfulness becomes known and you can trust them in the future. The other conclusion is that you expose a charlatan, a pretender, and know to ignore their uber-religious but ultimately unfounded instruction. I grant that this may feel uncomfortable, that this may feel weird, but hear our passage. You are free to judge the religious teaching by the word of God because Jesus alone provides spiritual growth. Any instruction you receive that will provide genuine spiritual growth will be based on the Bible, God's word, and it will point to you to Jesus, God's son. You are free from the rules and expectations of the uber-religious because their keeping their rules and meeting their expectations doesn't provide growth. Look at verse 19 again. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. True spiritual growth comes from God alone through Jesus alone. 
You are free from the judgment of the uber-religious who seek growth from disciplines for the sake of discipline or visions and dreams not based on God's word. You are free because Jesus alone provides spiritual growth. How do you know that? Not by the disciplines, the spiritual practices, and the mysticism of the super-Christians, but by simply doing what God says. You're free to grow through Jesus. Seek to encourage that growth by seeking him through the means that he has established. Follow the example of the apostles. Pray to Jesus to increase your faith. Read God's word to receive his teaching and blessing. Worship with God's people to be afforded his security and grace. You are free to seek God according to his appointed means. Don't be judged by anything that doesn't come from Jesus. Because in Jesus alone is the growth that comes from God. Now our last point. Don't be judged by anything that doesn't help like Jesus. Follow with me as I read verses 20 to 23 again. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of, to the body, but but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This passage calls us to a contrast. Believer, thank God. With Christ, you died to the world. You are free from the world's rules, expectations, and pressures. But this freedom is not a freedom in abstract or a freedom to do whatever you want. Jesus has given you freedom with a purpose. You have been freed from the grips of the world to now live the best way possible. Freedom from the world is freedom to follow Jesus. What verse 23 summarizes is the point that has been alluded to through the entire passage in my sermon. Conforming yourself to the judgment and pressures of the world does not help you. It hinders you. It makes you question your identity. It makes you deny reality. It makes you work for something Jesus has already won. Bowing to the judgment of the world might seem easier to do when the pressure is on, but let's be clear. That's the way of dissatisfaction, the path of destruction and the road to death. Living according to the world's judgment hinders, but, and this is the critical contrast, living according to God's judgment helps you. Look at the way David speaks of God's law. Psalm 119, the longest psalm, the pretty well longest passage in the Bible, is one massive love letter thanking God for his good law. Living according to God's way helps you. It guides you to lasting satisfaction, to true human flourishing, to life everlasting. Embrace the pressure to live this way. Here's where we have to have a very brief aside. Pressure isn't always a bad thing. Bad pressure seeks to bully you, to trick you, to override you, and typically to lead you to something unhelpful or unhealthy. 
Good pressure, on the other hand, seeks to honestly persuade you, respectfully convince you, and always lead you to what is healthy and good. Christians embrace and practice good pressure. Be persuaded by the faithful teaching and instruction of your pastors. Seek to convince people with arguments that are loaded with love and grace. Woo them with a Christian witness that isn't overbearing, but rather humble and sincere. Jesus himself is the great example of this. And getting back to our point, believer, the good news for you is that because of Jesus alone, you are free to live this way. You are free to live according to God's good and helpful judgment. Because you have been saved by Jesus, you are given the glorious ability, the eyes, the ears, and the heart to live according to God's good, helpful, life-promoting, joy-providing, love-oriented law. Don't be judged by anything that doesn't help like Jesus. You have a better way to live. Safely and confidently stand firm against the judgment of the world because God is judge. He is the judge who sits over all. And because of Jesus and what he has done, who he is for us, we not only have peace with God, we have right standing before him. And we have been given the spirit so that we might live according to his word, his law, and his judgment. So now, in conclusion, I need to ask, have you embraced the freedom we have just described in detail? With Jesus, we are free from the judgment of the world. You are given cause and strength and reason to stand firm in the face of judgment. Believers, take hold of that. Take hold of the freedom won by Jesus and live the best way. Live according to God's perfect judgment. But hear this. If you are without Jesus, you are not free to live according to God's perfect judgment. Rather, you stand under it, a guilty sinner. You have violated his good and perfect law, and you will be judged justly for that. But know that there is a way of escape. Embrace the way of freedom. Embrace the way of joy and satisfaction. Embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and know that in him there is forgiveness for your sins and the freedom to live the best way. Embrace that joy. Take hold of that peace and receive the gift of life. Turn to Jesus. Let's ask for his help now. Lord Jesus, O risen one, our great King, our mediator, our intercessor, our great high priest, we call on you for help. In this world, we face pressure, we face judgment, and it comes from so many different directions, from people at school, from people at work, from friends, from family, from people who claim to be uber, super Christians. Oh, Father, we are surrounded by judgment, by pressure, by expectations, by calls to conformity. We need your help. Lord Jesus, we ask, please free us. Remind us that in you and what you have done, what Colossians has been pointing to is that you are the perfect savior, that you provide a way of escape, that you lead us to God, our great father, and him, in him, we have freedom to live away from the expectations and judgments of the world and live according to his good and perfect way. Lord Jesus, raise us to life. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear that God's way is best. But as you do that, give us the strength and resolve as we're surrounded by pressures to stand firm. 
to hold on to what is good and true, to stand firm in the faith, faith as we face judgment, persecution, and pressure. Lord Jesus, we want to live the best way, but day by day, we need your help. Please save us, help us, guide us. We ask this in your great and powerful name. Amen. I hope that this message has been an encouragement to you. I hope that you will take up the call to guard your freedom, to avoid, but also to confront and stand firm in the face of this world's pressure and judgments. Know that Jesus is a great savior and that he leads us to God, whose way is best. But that's our message for today. For more messages of hope, visit us at www.gracebc.ca. And if this message or any others have been an encouragement, please share it and let people know what we're talking about here at Grace. Take care. Thank you.